What is going on, ladies and gentlemen? This is Gerald Valley coming at you live from the NRM studios. And I want to thank you all for being here today. You know, this show has been amazing. I haven't talked much about, you know, 2019, 2020, all that stuff. But 2019 was freaking phenomenal. I could not predict how uh, how this show is done. It has changed my life. Being on stage with the Suicide Machines, hanging out with J.R. Adams, doing so much fun stuff, and it's just continuing. The momentum continues into 2020, and I'm just stoked. I don't even try to like imagine what's coming because I couldn't begin to imagine what's coming next. What is going to come next? I know in a couple months I'm playing in a celebrity sled hockey game with like dudes from the Green Bay Packers and stuff, like raising money for great causes. So keep, a, keep an eye out on the NRM site, on my social media, all that stuff. I never know what's coming next. I never know what's coming next. So I just embrace it. Oftentimes I say yes, and I don't even know what I'm getting myself into, but it usually turns out great. So I want to thank you all for making this just an amazing time in my life, and it continues to get better. So thank you guys. Thank you. Please share. If you guys get inspired by shows, by past shows, you know, in in 2019, we did like 38 shows, 38 shows heard in over 30 countries all over the world, and people are just stoked on each guest, each guest bringing something different, each guest inspiring in a different kind of way and and it's just it's it's been freaking awesome so thank you guys so much and uh with that i want to say today's show is is on a whole nother level on a whole nother level the gentleman sitting across the table for me right now mr phil stone i met him a handful of years ago and we met through skateboarding through skateboarding i have met the most incredible people on the planet and Phil Stone ranks right up there right up there with the most phenomenal friends that I have this dude has done hair all over the world he is an amazing artist a truly truly gifted skateboarder and just just an all-around great human being every time we hang out there's smiles there's fun there's some trash talk and there's some it, 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 it's so much fun and so I am uh, humbled humbled today to introduce you, the people of this awesome giant blue marble, to Mr. Phil Stone. Phil, thank you so much for being here today, brother. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, how's life, man? Life is good. 2020 going good for you? It's all right. I've not been on this side of town, I think, in like 25 years. The last time I was on this side of town, I was a door-to-door salesman. No way. Yep. You have really done everything. It was the most miserable, I think, three months of my life. (laughs) I got suckered in. The ad in the classified section of the Metro Times said, wanted art manager. And I'm like, I quit my job at the at the First of America Bank that was in Royal Oak. I'm like, I'm out of here. Fuck my cubicle. I'm going to go be an art manager. Well, I went in for the interview. Shadiest place I've ever been to in Troy, right? It was like a, like a warehouse. And I showed up in this tie bot at the Salvation Army trying to look all cool and dapper and everything. I was, I'm going to be an art manager, right? And this guy's like, yeah, first of all, lose that tie. Second of all, do you even know what we're going to be doing here? And I was like, mm, yeah, I'm going to be an art manager. He goes, no. So he bought uh, the, the previous year's calendars. You remember, like, they would have, like, Van Gogh calendars mm-hmm. and Monet calendars. And so he'd buy last year's calendars at, like, two cents a pound. He would cut the artwork off, right, <laughs> put them in a $5 frame. And then we would drive up and down Northwestern Highway or whatever, going to businesses, trying to you know schlep them off as uh, as lithographs because there was an art show that just closed up, and I'll be damned. This is the last of the inventory. We're going to give it to you for 
$35 for <laughs> <laughs> And then you would you would do that all day. You'd be up and down the street just hoofing it with these stupid paintings out of the back end of your car. And um, then you'd go at the end of the night, go back to the warehouse. You know, they would count up how much you sold, how much you, you still had. And you'd get paid there in cash right on the spot. And that lasted, I think, I used to do it on this side of town. Never came back. But the, the job ended three months later. I had a shotgun pulled on me in the middle of a porn store in Kalamazoo. And um, that at that time, I was just like, you know, I heard the click of the gun. The guy's like, get out. Because I would not leave. I was not going to take no for an answer. I was outside of <laughs> Kalamazoo. And I was bound and determined to sell this, this, this adult video man a Van Gogh. <laughs> you know, I, I'm sure we're going to get into a bunch of crazy stories like that. On my way here, a mutual friend of ours texted me and he's like, you got to ask Phil about Dubai. Fuck now, Dubai. Now, I need to... <laughs> We're not even getting into the interview yet. I need to know about Dubai. Why were you in Dubai? And and he said something about kidnapping. So tell me, tell me about Dubai. All right, let me give you context. Um, I used to be for ten years an international guest artist for a company called Rusk, and what I did was it's a hair care company. It was owned by Conair, still is, and I was basically my job was to go around the world every weekend and go do hair on stage somewhere around the world. So this was during. I forget what war it is. One of those wars in the Gulf. Um, I can't remember, but early was, early nineties or late nineties. It was no, it was early two thousands. Oh, okay. So. Early two thousands, I went, and um, there was a bunch of stuff going on over there. It was when those nuns got killed. They were killing the construction workers in Dubai and stuff like that. So it came up. They're like, "Look, we opened up a new distributorship in Dubai. We want to send you over there for two weeks to go, you know, train the people in Dubai plus the Swedes." for two weeks. I was like, yeah, what the hell, let's go. And my boss, who was this pissed off Frenchman named Eve, and he kept going, Philip, do not go. I wouldn't go, if it was me, I would not go. And I was like, no, Eve, I got this. I said, even if, even if I get beheaded, it's gonna look awesome on CNN because I had this beautiful peacocked black and red mohawk, right? And I'm like, they got something to hold on to. It's going to look fantastic. Don't even worry about it, Eve. I got this. <laughs> and no, what are you, like 27, 28? No, I was in, yeah, I was late 20s. Late 20s, early, I don't know. That There was a 10-year blur. So it kept getting canceled because of all the stuff that was going on there in Dubai. And they're like, we got to move your trip. We got to move your trip. I'm like, I don't care. You know, I get, I was on salary. And if I didn't go then, I went someplace else. I was always going somewhere. So finally, I was, it was ready to go. And my boss kept going, don't, don't, if it was me, I wouldn't go, Philip. And I was like, no, nah, no, nah, I got this. Well, so I get there and for two weeks I had to go to the distributorship and train these people. Well, when I got there, it, it, it scared the hell out of me right when I got to the airport. And that's saying a lot, dude. Like I, right. I, I've you, been around you enough that there isn't too much that well, you gets get, under your skin. I think I had some God awful layover in Germany which messed me up because it was like five o'clock in the morning. It's like, I don't even feel like drinking, you know? So I'm there for seven hours on this layover and I finally get to Dubai and they dump you off in the plane. And now you're like, it, it, it was scary. It was, it, and there's people pushing around. I have no idea where to go. There's not, there not many English placards at the time of like where to go. And all of a sudden it was like, I'm standing in front of customs with this huge red and black mohawk with a shirt and tie on. And I'm like, hi, I do hair. And this guy's like, say, like asking me all these questions. I got my passport out, all my papers. 
And I must have stood out like a sore thumb because this other guy comes out of nowhere out of left field and grabs me. And he was like, no, 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 Mr. Stone, he's with me. He's, he gets me through customs, blah, blah, blah. So I had a driver, a translator, and then somebody with the, with the distributorship with me at all times. Take me to the hotels, beautiful hotels, the Radisson, you know, had biometrics and stuff like that. It was like top of the line. So every morning when I came down, I had a driver. And the driver would have the little sign up saying, you know, Phil Stone. And he would take me to work in the morning. And then they, they would work me like a dog for like like 15 hours a day. I mean, it was just class after class after class. After, they would just keep filing them in. So the third day, I think it was, second or third day, I get this new driver. And it's a just a shit car. I was driving an Alexis. It was a beautiful car. Well, now I got like, I don't know, a Ford Fiesta they picked me up in, right? <laughs> he comes and I'm up like, in, a, in a Yugo. <laughs> yeah, so like second or third day, I'm like, who did I piss off? Right. Like, why? all of a sudden, I got down. I was like, all right, whatever, go for a ride. Well, it was in the, you know, it's, a, it's the desert, you know, so at night, it's pitch black. But I knew on the way home, it was a straight shot down the Burge to get back down to the Radisson, right? Well, all of a sudden, this new driver didn't speak a lick of English. And he goes off some exit. Now we're in a residential area. Now, I'm in a, a, a suit, black suit, black shirt, black tie, and it's hot, right? Been working all day. It's one, all of a sudden, we're in this residential area. I'm like, dude, where are we going? And he didn't say anything. I'm like, so now I'm kind of, I'm panicking. I'm like, okay, maybe he's taking a shortcut because this is a new guy. He's got a new way back to the hotel, right? Well, we keep going down these little side streets and stuff. You know, the houses, they have those little, like, little walls around them, right? And... um so now we're in this residential area and I'm like, I'm freaking out. And I'm like, dude, where are you taking me? Where are you taking me? And, um, he wouldn't say anything. So I'm like, okay, I could jump out of the car right now, but I don't know where the hell I'm at. And so I'm like going for a ride. So we pull into this house and we go through the little gate and the thing. Now I'm panicking. Now I'm completely, I'm like, this guy is taking me to his house and he won't say a word to me. And it's just absolute fear. It puts the lotion on the skin. Yeah, I'm like, you know, I made jokes about getting beheaded, <laughs> but now it might come true. And I'm like, I, I'm not even prepared for this. And I'm tired. I worked all day. And it's, it's just a, it's, it's a nightmare. So we pull in this garage and the garage is completely empty. All it is is just drywall, right? Nothing in there. We pull in the garage. Garage door closes. The lights are off. He gets out of the car, goes into the house and leaves me in the dark in the car. So I'm like, it doesn't say a word. So I'm like flipping out. Well, with... I have my thing of scissors and I have about 10 pairs of different scissors in there. So I'm like, I'm going to go out like Wolverine. So I start putting scissors in my hands and I jump in the front seat and I lock all the doors, jump back in the back seat, lock those doors. I got all the scissors in my hand. I'm like, I'm going to cut somebody. He left me out there 20, 20 minutes to a half hour in the dark, sweating like a stuck pig and then gets in the car, doesn't say anything, opens the garage door. We leave. I'm screaming at him at the top of my lungs, like punching the back of the of the seat, like pissed, right? Still won't say a word to me. Five minutes later, we're at the Radisson, he dumps me off. So I, it was the most bizarre situation. <laughs> and I've been in a lot of bizarre situations around the world. That one was, so I run up to my room. First person I call is Conair, my, my contact there. I'm like, look, this is what happened. They had got me like an evac card at that time. So it's like, you know, if something went down, I could go to the embassy, I can get out. So I called, I called Conair, my contact over there. I'm like, look, this is what's going on. I'm totally freaked out. They're like, look, don't leave the room. We're going we're gonna to figure this out with the distributor. I'm like, okay, fine. So I'm calling my wife. I'm calling my dad. I'm calling all these people. Let them know what's going on. I'm like in the room. I'm petrified. I'm like, that was the freakiest situation ever. 
I can't even imagine. So I the can't next, even imagine. I don't even think I slept. So the next morning, I you know, get a phone call from from Conair, and they're like, "Look, go downstairs. You got your your regular driver. The owners, the distributor, want to talk to you." And I was like, "Okay, cool. Are you sure?" And they said, "Yeah." So I go down there. There's my regular guy with the nice Lexus, and um, I'm like, "Okay, cool." So he takes me to the distributorship, and the distributor sit me down. It was a husband and wife team, and um. Yeah, they were like, yeah, look, um, whatever his name was, he it was time for dinner. And really? he got suspended and got whatever. I mean, he probably didn't, but yeah. It, it was, <laughs> you know what? It was, it was 6 o'clock, man. The man had to eat. I don't care about the American in the back. The guy could go, you know, piss himself for all I care. <laughs> it's time to eat. I would believe more like prayer. Like, dude had to stop and pray. I it might have been, but they know. told me he had to eat. That's... <laughs> So, yeah, after that, I was I was bitter the whole time that I was there. Um, really? I wonder why. Yeah, it was crazy. And then they, they took me on this, this two, they, I had like one day to myself. And um, the driver and the, the guy from the distributorship and the translator, they're like, all right, we're, we're going to take you around town. I was like, all right. I'm like, where are we going? And they're like, we're going to take you to the mall. I'm like, I don't go to the mall. Because Dubai at that time, I don't know if it still has been X amount of years, but. It was split. It was Swedish on one side, and it was, you know, um, Muslim on the other. So on one side of the town, you had nude beaches and malls, and the other side was nothing but mocks and, and, and restaurants and whatnot. Bizarre. So they took me to the mall. I'm like... Odd place to take yeah. you. Not sightseeing around the new architecture, because Dubai... And we have a- the gap. And yeah. I was like, well, hot damn. Right. <laughs> Because Dubai, <laughs> I've never been to Dubai, but the pictures I've seen are just phenomenal. Like the architecture and everything that's going on there, it, it grew so fast. And it, it's like, uh, I mean, like Blade Runner. I mean, it, it, it's crazy. When I was photos. there, they had, they had just built the Burj. Um, they were just building the, the palm tree in the water mm-hmm. um, that people could buy each palm and, and live on and everything. They were just building that when I was out there. So it wasn't, it wasn't like it is now, but... I mean, I got to see the gold bazaar and stuff like that, but yeah, never again. Yeah, never. I, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. Leaving try. was was a disaster too. It was, it was just. It was like Indiana Jones leaving that place. It was like you had one half. It was like you had all these tourists all dressed to the nines. Then you had some dude with like chickens and a makeshift coop that he wanted to throw on a plane to take you know to Abu Dhabi or whatever I don't know it was just it was a damn nightmare <laughs> and and ladies and gentlemen this is how we open the show with Phil Stone and at this point this is when Gerald reconsiders having Phil Stone on his not show. at all <laughs> do not move your seat because now we're going to get into how you and I met I want to know um how'd you start skateboarding because you and I met through skateboarding I meet the raddest people through skateboarding I know how I started We've talked about it several times on this show. How did you get into skateboarding? So here's a funny story. I never wanted to be a skateboarder. Never. Well, you're a pretty good skateboarder. So I wanted to be a BMX kid. Okay. My cousin had these two Huffy bikes, and they were the cool ones back in the 80s. They had the big yellow mag uh, rims on there. Mm-hmm. They had all the pads. They had the crotch pad. They had the pads so you wouldn't lose your teeth on the, on the handlebar. They were the coolest. All I wanted to do is I wanted to ride berms and do jumps and have a motorcycle helmet on and the gloves and the big chest piece and all that. I wanted to be a BMX. I was like, God, 10. And uh, so I asked my dad. You know, my dad was a cop. So, and kind of gives a little context in a minute here, but I said, Dad, I want a, I want a BMX bike. He's I'm not buying you that. You got a bike. 
I had a 10 speed beat up Schwinn. <laughs> Nobody can be cool on that when you live on a dirt road. All right. You can't ride berms. You can't jump. You can't, you can't do, sh- you put a motorcycle helmet on and ride a 10 speed Schwinn. Come on. Right. So anyway, he's like, no. So he came back from home from work one night. He was, you know, he was a um, Macomb deputy. So he's on patrol. He comes back and he gives me, he goes, here, I found this for you. And he gives me this beat up Veriflex skateboard. That he found in a ditch by the Toys R Us off a of Hull Road, right? So we're talking probably 85, 86? No, 80, yeah, 85. I want to say 84, 85. And he gives me this thing, and I was like, I want to be a Max. He goes, nah, play with this. And I was like, all right. I got on that thing, and I spent the whole day in the garage. And the garage had this, like, little lip thing. And I spent the whole day, and I was like, you know what? This is what I'm doing. This, this is, I'm, I'm in, I'm sold. I live on a dirt road, but I'm going to make this work. This is going to be with me until I die. And I and, think that's how it happens with people because uh, a friend of mine came home from Florida. He had a big board. I rode it, and then I, I had to have it. Yeah. And, and there's some people who can step on a skateboard all day long and go, I'll ne- I'm never doing that again. But there's people like you and I and, and thousands, millions out there who step out at one, on a skateboard one time. And they know they will never not have that in their life. Yeah, it was like the first time I had sex. <laughs> I want to do this all the time <laughs> until I'm dead, as much as I possibly can. It's a good analogy. Yeah, it was. It, it, and then I had two other friends that they were my best friends when I was growing up in Armada, and you know the three of us would all take turns on it. And the one paved area in um, oh there's forty five year old man upside down. Um, <laughs> That's what you're doing now, and it started out as an accident. Here, kid, stay out of my way, sort of, kind of, and then yeah, you so fall we, in love with it. The three of us would just share this thing in the one paved parking lot that was in Armada until it broke. And then we were like, what do we do now? Where the hell do we get another one of these things? Mm-hmm. So my buddy's dad had a, um, you know, a, a, a barn where he did woodworking when he got drunk. And we took a piece of plywood and made a template and cut this flat three-quarter inch piece of plywood out got some sandpaper grew, glued that on top of it and then spray painted the damn thing pink put the trucks on there they're all crooked and shit and um yeah we rode this plank of wood until my parents were finally like look you look like an idiot on that thing we're gonna go <laughs> we're gonna go to kmart we're gonna get you another because that's where i thought skateboards came from where i didn't know about skate shops for me it was dunham's in the yeah. beginning yeah so yeah i got another veriflex it was a veriflex joker i'll never forget it i thought it was the coolest thing it had a joker skull on it with blood and i was like oh this is awesome this is the thing i want to do and um yeah i got the, i didn't get my i think it was like three or four veriflexes later i didn't get my first like pro deck when we moved to romeo and i figured out what a skate shop was and it was mj's and um i had my first one was a psycho stick with um thunder trucks and oj team riders Still ride thunders? No. Ah, uh, see, I no. Knew. I figured out I wanted to turn. So I Come ended. on! <laughs> I ride thunders because they turn. <laughs> oh man! I, I got a pair of thunders on my my fortieth fortieth uh, year um, birthday board. I, I bought thunders with the uh, the McGill reissue deck. Mm-hmm. And I was like, Nah, I like my indies. Yeah, my indie hollows. Know. Different strokes for different folks. You know, most of my friends in the extreme sports world, BMX, skateboarding, whatever it is, they're very creative on and off their boards. Um, you are an amazing artist. When did you start drawing? I can't. Put like it. for me, I was like five years old sitting in the bowl and I had my dad drawing on the back of like the score sheet, you know. Like, it was just something I always did. It would. There it is. I just did that the other day. 
Um, <laughs> so, yeah, it was it was just something I've always done. And I used to sit there, and my favorite cartoon when I was a kid was, was Dungeons & Dragons. And it was funny because I used to sit there and make little Dungeons & Dragons comic books off of that cartoon, but it was on Channel 9. That would sometimes come in. Right. It was the Canadian channel. Yep, yep. And it was the Dungeons and Dragons like reruns. I would watch that show because it was right before chores had to be done. And as soon as Dungeons and Dragons was over, it's like son of a bitch. I had <laughs> to clean the house. Um, but yeah, I used to sit there and, and just draw and draw and draw and draw. And it was just it was just always a thing, you know. Like you know, just have a stack of crappy drawings I used to do as a kid. Now through high school, through junior high, were you drawing? Were you taking art classes? Were you doing that kind no. of a thing? Um, I took one art class. In high school, um, I, it, it's so weird. I always wanted to draw Spider-Man. I wanted to work for Marvel. I was that kid, you know, and I was like, oh, I'm going to do it. But I'm like, you know, but I only took one art class. But I didn't really have any guidance back then. Like, oh, you need to do this then. Oh, you need to figure out anatomy. Oh, you need to figure out, you know, layout. You need to figure out all this and design. It was just like, no, I'm going to do it. So, you know, sitting at home trying to figure it out on my own and it was a, it was a complete and utter disaster i always wanted to go to art school parents wouldn't let me you know i had to go to a four-year university but um yeah i was always that kid that was it was it was funny it's it's kind of a sad story but i thought i was good like in your head because when it because what am i doing i show my drawings to my mom and what is she gonna tell you it sucks no mm -hmm. So my mom's always like, oh, you're the best. Oh, yeah, Marvel love to have you. Oh, you should try for DC and all this other kind of stuff. So I was going to the Motor City Comic Con since, I think, ninth grade. And when I could drive myself there, it was, you know, you could show your portfolio. And back then they would, you know, this is when it was an actual, like, comic show, not like a pop, mm -hmm. you know, pop art type deal or a pop culture thing. Um, it was, what was the company? It was the uh, Dark Horse was the absolute, they were brutal. Brutal to your face, brutality. Just jerks, because they oh, put yeah. out some pretty cool. Comments. They put out beautiful things, and I was like, "I'm gonna work for Dark Horse." So I trot on over to the Dark Horse table, and um, the owner was there. I can't remember his name, but anyway, I show my portfolio, and it was just it was garbage. I mean, it was just a garbage portfolio. But the guy looks at it, and he's flipping through it like you know yesterday's newspaper, and he goes, "Hey," and I go, "What?" He goes, "You own an anatomy, uh, do you own an anatomy book?" And I was like, "Yeah." He goes, "Did you fucking open it?" Because this is trash. And like threw it back at me. So I was like, well, I'll go to the next table. <laughs> but Sometimes brutal honesty, though, uh, that, oh, that's every, what we need. Every year I would go to that thing and just get just get slammed. They were just like, and, but I would never learn. You know, I never, it never sunk in. I'd go back, I'd go back home, and I'd try to figure it out on my own. Because you were only, you had like one art elect, it was Romeo. So you had like one art elective throughout your whole high school career. So I was like, oh, I'll just take the one art class and see how that goes. And then maybe I'll go to art college and figure it out there. But um, the, the best was I worked at a comic book store. It was a fly-by-night comic book store in Romeo. And um, it was, that was probably the best job I had in high school because I used to have to ride my skateboard down to the comic book store in the morning. The, the owner was a complete drunk. I mean, he would get hammered at the local bar I'd have to go down there before school, go in the basement of the store, because that's where he lived, 
wake him up, kick the hooker out from the night before, whoever he, he, I was like in 10th grade, right? And I had to make like the two pots of coffee to get it ready for him. You know, tell the girl, sorry, but you can't stay here. What's you, this white dust? I'm going to just put it on the floor. Yeah, just, you know what, Jim, you got to open the store in, you know, a couple hours. But um, yeah, he would, and then he'd wake up and then I'd go to school and then I'd go after school after I was done skating, go work at the comic shop till about 10 o'clock at night. Well, anyway, it came up that this one uh, Marvel artist was like two or three towns over. I think it was in Dryden. His name was Gary Quapitz. And he used to draw for uh, Marvel. With He did the Punisher War Journal, and he also did the um, the Conan magazine. They're like, you got to look at, you know, Gary will hook you up. Gary will hook you up. Go look him up. So this is like 11th grade or something like that. And um, so I was 16, 17. So long story short, I find the guy in the phone book. Because he had such a unique name. Phone book? Right, exactly. What's that? I went into the phone book to stalk somebody <laughs> instead of the internet. So I find this dude, right? So you put serious effort. Oh, I did. And this is like 8 o'clock at night. So I find the phone book. And I'm like, I'm going to call him now. So I call, like totally cold call this guy, 16, 17 years old. I said, hey, Gary, my name is Phil Stone. I want to, you know, I heard you work from Marvel. I want to show you my portfolio. He goes, well, yeah, when you want to come over? I said, I can come over now. <laughs> He goes, it's like 8.30 at night. No, I'll be there. Where do you live? So I get a map, right? No, what? A, exactly. I get a map because he's over in Dryden and I'm in, I'm in Romeo. So I find out, you know, how to get there. My dad's a cop, right? Should be a little suspicious at 8.30 at night when your kid's got a map out and he's going to drive to some old man's house in Dryden right. in the middle right. of, you know, BFE woods. And uh, my dad's like, no, no, go. Take your sister. He's probably hoping for a kidnapping, right? <laughs> It's like, get this kid out of my life. Because my dad regretted every day after he gave me that skateboard. I mean, just hated it. So he's like, just, yeah, go to this strange man's that house. That was the keys to a kingdom. He really didn't know he was unlocking. He's like, no, this is golden. This worked out. Everything just kind of fell into place. Kid's getting kidnapped, probably end up on the news, you know, get a nice life insurance out of Maybe him. go to Dubai, get de- yeah, beheaded. At one point, somebody's going to take this kid. So... So I drive out to Dryden, 9 o'clock, 9.30 at night, and I go to this house, and I'm, like, shaking. And it's this beautiful Victorian farmhouse in the middle of nowhere. I'll never forget. It was purple. And I was like, this is exactly how I would imagine it, because this is what I want. I wanted this house out in the woods and just draw out there, right? Gary answers the door. So he takes me up to his studio, and the studio was the attic. And when I say it was old school, Gerald, it was, like, drawing table, all your photo reference everywhere. I like it. And it was all pen and ink, legit old school stuff. And it was just, here's these Conan, the barbarian, you know, original pieces sitting there. And I'm like godsmacked at the time. Right. And um, so he's flipping through my portfolio like yesterday's newspaper like everybody else did because I'm kind of used to that. I was like, all right, whatever. He goes, I don't even know what I'm looking at. He goes, I, I, I don't even know. You have, you suck at sequential art. Your anatomy is horrible. And it's like to my face, right? And I'm in the middle of like this studio, just I'm godsmacked with Conan on one side, and this other guy's telling me everything's garbage. And I'm 16, 17 years old, and he's he's like, Look, this is this is just trash. He goes, I don't know if you thought about another vocation in life, but you should probably do that. <laughs> if you Maybe get a good job as a line cook. I don't know, you know, because what you're doing is not working. This is this is terrible. Do you still have some of those drawings that you look at? No, they're all gone. Uh huh. All right. So there's, there's another story behind that. So um, anyway, he gives me back my portfolio, and, he was, and then he, and I think he felt bad. 
because then he wanted to start giving me pointers. He's like, well, you should do this. You should do this. You should do this. And I was like, and he could just, I'm like almost in tears. Like, mm-hmm. but I don't want to lose it in front of like the guy who draws Conan. Right. Cause that's, <laughs> cause that's just not cool. Yeah. So I'm like, you know, okay, I'll buy a book, you know, and this and that. So he goes, all right, it's time for you to go. So I was like, okay, kicks me out of his house. But on the way out, he gives me some sage advice. He goes, look, if you don't go home tonight and commit suicide, if you don't run your car into a tree or put a gun in your mouth, you'll probably make it. <laughs> and then the door shut. So I'm driving home in the car. Every, every tree is a target. I'm like, just make a sharp right, Phil. Just make a sharp right, end it. Flash forward 20-some years later, I take my son to his first Comic-Con in Columbus, Ohio. And I'm looking at Artist Alley. And um, it's this huge Comic-Con down in Columbus by uh, Wizard World puts it on. So I'm looking at Artist Alley, and I was like, oh, my God. And my son Blaine looks at me and goes, what? Gary Quaffitz is here. No way. 20-some years later. So, yeah, so I'm like, I don't care what we do this weekend. We're going there now. We're going to his table. And um, I'm stalking his booth. He's not there yet. All the other Marvel guys are there. They're like, does this guy owe you money? Right. Like, right. why? Wait. I'm like, where the fuck is Gary? And um, so he finally shows up. I go, Gary Quappets. He goes, yes. I go, Phil Stone. And he looks at me and I go, you don't remember me, do you? He goes, oh, my God, what did I tell you? <laughs> I go, what? I'm not the only one? I reiterate the entire story from that night to him. The Marvel guys are totally cracking up. Everybody around us cracking. He goes, oh, my God, please, please tell me you did something with your art. I said, Gary, and I'm covering my son's ears because he was young at the time. I go, Gary, for two years in Carlsbad, California, I drew porn. I drew horrible, horrible, god-awful porn for a meth head. <laughs> and I failed. <laughs> but I'm a hairdresser now. <laughs> Yes, yes, we're going to get... <laughs> and he just shook his head. He, I mean, he, was, he didn't know what to say. I go, all right, we're going to go check out the other booths. Took off with my kid. Wow. Yeah. Wow. We're so, gonna get but ba- what's funny is we're, we're still friends on Facebook. I talk to him all the time. Well, you're a phenomenal artist. I mean, whatever he said did something because you didn't crash into a tree you didn't put a gun in your mouth right. and you became an amazing specimen of a human being. We're going to get back to your art. How how do you go from skateboarding? Because we opened this show with a story about Dubai, and you're a hairdresser running all over the freaking globe. Right. Uh, you you get a skateboard. You know, obviously you develop a punk rock attitude. I'm sure you ruffled a bunch of feathers through school. We talked about yeah. that uh, privately, and uh, you're still producing artwork. I never once, I never once, I have a similar trajectory. Never once thought about cutting hair in my life. How do you start cutting hair? So okay. I'm going to back up a little bit. So the first quote unquote job, and I lose that, I use that term loosely for art um, that I got was from, he wasn't on meth. He was on, um, he was a heroin addict um, for Blue Comet Press. And I drove from Michigan to California in three days in a generic U-Haul truck for this job that I supposedly was there. And I dragged my sister and her boyfriend with me. Drove, I'm pretty much non I think we stopped once, got out there. I completely failed at this thing. I ended up drawing porn, like I said, for, for two years for this guy. It was it was horrible. Nothing got published. Um, 
that was the first gallery showing that I was never at. I ended up selling it to a, a, a two-day story. But anyway, <laughs> so <clears throat> when you usually when you leave a state, it's like, okay, cool, I'm gonna I'm gonna leave this state. I'm done here. I got the send off of a lifetime. Not only did I leave the state, I was basically kicked out. The uh, the guy I ended up working for at this bar called the G Spot. He goes, "You got to go." And I'm like, "Am I fired?" He goes, "No, you have to leave the state. You have just leave because of all the shenanigans that happened there." Mm. So he bought me a Greyhound ticket and got me a, a carton of smokes, gave me 50 bucks, got me drunk, put me on a bus. 3 days later, I'm back in Michigan. Living in a um, an attic of a farmhouse in between my mom's salon and an Irish bar for seventy five bucks a month, that was utilities included. And just judging to this point, anything you do, you are all in. Like oh yeah, all, you have to a hundred percent. I'm all in. I'll, I'll risk everything, yep. and I'm going after it. And I love that about you. So I love that about you. My mom came up to my to my attic, and I was still in denial that I failed. And there was rehab in there, too, a little bit, um, which is another two-day story. We're going to have to do, like, three shows, right. still. Um, so my mom came up to the, the attic. You know, she owned the salon next to the, to the house. She actually hooked it up with the, with the apartment. Up, it wasn't even an apartment. And she goes, look, you're not doing anything with your life. You're not making it. Come to a hair show with me. And, you know, I was like, all right. So she takes me to... Soaring you casino. I got nothing going on. I was like, I'll hang out at the casino with my mom, you know, do whatever. And I see that she she takes me to her favorite company called Rusk. And she goes, You gotta be a hairdresser. She was telling me this the whole time up there. You gotta do hair, you gotta do hair, you gotta do hair. And I was like, I ain't gonna do that. Straight males do very well in the hair. They hair world. they do, but I didn't look at it that way. I grew up in Islam. My grandma was a hairdresser. She apprenticed my mom, and my mom eventually apprenticed me. Um so, but I never wanted to do it. And so I went to this hair show and I saw Irvin Rusk cutting hair up on stage. And they had these huge screens playing behind him with this anime. He's doing this total punk hair. I'm like, well, what the hell is this? This isn't what I grew up with. I grew up with bonnets and bouffants, right? <laughs> right, right. And little old lady smoking when they had the uh, the the ashtray actually in the styling chair. I just I, I had more cigarette smoke in my lungs as a nine year old than most <laughs> fifty year old smokers. Then my mom did hair at the morgue at night and she dragged me down there. So you know I had the embalming fluid crap going through my lungs and she I'll just sit there, Philip. You know <laughs> I do you know the dead Sally's hair. So of course I'm like I ain't doing this. You know, but I but I see Irvin Rusk up on stage, and they're all in black suits. They all got funky hair, and I was like, I could do this. So I told my mom at the end of that weekend, because we stayed up there, I said, look, I don't want to be behind a chair when I if I do hair. I want to do that. I want to I want to be up there, and I want to do that kind of hair. And it was she was like, okay, we'll start an apprenticeship. So she we got back. She filled out the paperwork. I quit the apprenticeship every Saturday. <laughs> it's a two-year. It's a two-year bit. Right, right, right. I thought I'd be doing funky hair right off the bat. Oh no, you're rolling perms. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I hate this. You got a fake little bust, and you got to do all this. Stuff. Oh, oh yeah. it's horrible, you know. And then you're cutting foils. You're getting coffee. You're just, you're just a, a grunt. 
So anyway, I quit. I quit every Saturday. My mom would come up to the apartment every Tuesday, drag me out of there. Nah, you're going back. I'm like, all right, fine. So her ex-husband owned the salon with her, and I got in a huge blowout fight with him. And uh, I quit for good. This about this about half, like six months into, seven months into the out of a two-year apprenticeship. I'm like, I'm done. I hate this guy. I don't want to be near him anymore. I'm done. I said. Like, get the books, read it myself, figure it out. I'm me and my little doll heads are going to go up my crappy 75 buck a month apartment. I'll do hair up. I'll figure it out and I'll fudge it. And I'll, I'll swindle the state into a license. And my mom's like, it doesn't, doesn't work that way, Phil. You can't, you can't fudge it. So she found me another guy ended up, you know, I apprenticed under, um, Dion at this place called Salon Dion. And catchy name. It was, it was kind of funny. <laughs> and I still keep in contact with him, but it was funny because now I'm a year into the apprenticeship. And I found out there was a audition to join the Rusk team in um, Ann Arbor. And Dion had been working part time for Rusk. And he kind of like he was talking about it in, in the back room. He's yeah, 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 there's an audition. My friend's going to be up there doing the do the interviews and stuff like that because you had to audition for it. And it was a whole big affair. I said, I'm going to go to that. He goes, you can't. You have to be a hairdresser for two years licensed. You're only a year into your apprenticeship. I'm like, no, nah, no, nah, I got this. Hold my beer. He goes, dude, you can't. You can't do it. And I was like, no, no, no. I'm going to go. So I drove up there, and he was really mad at me. He goes, you're not going to get it. And I was like, all right, just watch me. So I Famous go up there. last words. You're not going to get it. You're not going to get it. I drove up there. I had these stupid light-up pants they had like rave, they were like rave pants. They had flashers on the side. I had a rubber shirt and goggles. Those goggles that are hanging in my uh, oh, in my yeah. car. Yeah. And I had, I wore those and I had these huge new rock boots with spikes and chains and everything. And I'm like, I'm gonna go in there. I'm gonna totally pull this interview off and this and that. Dude, I walk into this thing and all the people auditioning sh- sh- uh, shirt and ties, beautiful dresses, and I'm like, oh, I'm standing. This, this is, I'm, I fucked up. <laughs> 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 so there's three people interviewing and they're like you know completely chic and all this other kind of stuff i'm like well i'm gonna hang back because i started hearing some of the questions that were being asked i'm like i'm gonna fail this i'm gonna fail this they're gonna call me out i'm not even licensed this and that so i was the last one to be interviewed and um i sat there and hit on the woman who was interviewing me she was she looked like joan jett and I was sitting there flirting with her the whole time. And every time she, uh, the th- thing about the license would come up, I'd be like, yeah, 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 I got it. I, I left it at home and this and that. Just, oh, my God. Do you know you look like Joan Jett? Your eyes are like they're killer right now. This and that. She goes, finally, after a half hour of bullshit, <laughs> she goes, look, we're having a level one training. It's in Chicago. Here's the address. We're inviting you there. I was like, all right, cool. So I go there. I got back to the salon. I go, I'm in. And, my, and, and Dion was like, what? I go, yeah, I got my level one training in, in, uh, in Chicago in a couple of weeks or whatever. He was like, how the hell did you do that? I go, fucking Phil Stone. I had lighter pants. <laughs> <laughs> so I went there. Went through my level one training, which is a week of hell. Uh, learning the products and then learning certain techniques that Irvin had created. He, mm-hmm. he made these scissors and stuff. It was... It was I had just gotten out of doing perms. I didn't. I couldn't even cut a straight line to save my life. 
right? And I'm doing this level one training with all these people who've been like hairdressers for like between five and 20 years, right? And the person teaching me has been around the world and stuff like that. I'm trying to fudge it. I don't know half the lingo that they're using. So long story short, I got hired and I'm teaching classes, you know, little over a year into my apprenticeship, like in people's salons, I'm going in there like, yeah, I've been doing this for years. You know, just faked it. I love it. And then finally I got my license a year later and I had to come clean. I was like, oh yeah, that license you wanted over a year ago. I'm like, oh, I finally found it. It was in the backseat of my car, you know, by behind the McDonald's bag. And they're like, no, it wasn't Phil. You lied to us the whole time. I was like, yeah, I said I've been unlicensed for, you know, over a year. They're like, just, just shut your mouth. Don't say a word to anybody. It's cool. That's... By the way, do you want to go full time? And I said, you know, damn right. I want to go full time. And next, you know, I find myself in the boardroom with my boss uh, at Conair negotiating a salary and benefits. And it was funny because they were like, well, here's the number we want to give you for your salary. I'm like, bitch, I do it for free. <laughs> and my boss, the pissed off Frenchman, Eve, he's like, Philip, you're the fucking worst negotiator. You don't tell him you do it for free. I'm like, nah, I got this. <laughs> So, so I had to take what they gave me. <laughs> so how long how long you end up working for Russ? Uh, about ten years, um, and then it's just burnout. It, it it just there was a lot of personal stuff at home. Um, you know, I got married to my wife. Um, we had a very sick daughter, and it was that her name was Bobby. She had a cardio syndrome, and it just got to the point where it's like I can't can't travel anymore i have to be home you know and then she passed away and that was just like i'm done and then i got behind the chair built up a clientele started my own educational company ran that for five years it was called rewiredhair.com took what i learned from rusk and then within the first two years we were doing shows on the east coast and um you know packing off the back of the car throw my wife in the car and i'm like come on we're gonna strap a band to your back we're gonna do these shows making DVDs, education. I was the last um, independent um, educational website for hairdressers to go down. Wow. So, yeah, and then I was behind the chair and I owned, owned two salons. Uh, my first one got me kicked out of Royal Oak. Uh, got a letter from the city of Royal Oak saying, never, Philstone LLC can never open up another business within city limits of Royal Oak. What, no more naked ladies in the front window? Oh no, it was no more naked Phil in the front window. Oh! Um, <laughs> I, I, how much time do we have? We actually have about, what do we got? We got 16 minutes, and I want to get into your artwork a little okay. bit more because you're doing that full time. I am going to have you back very soon. We're okay. going to do round two because. I'm sorry. Uh, I was... we, no, I love it. I love it. We're sitting here with Phil Stone, and if you got up out of your seat, you might have missed part of the life-changing interview and the persona that's bigger than life that is Phil Stone. I want to thank you again, Phil, for coming in today. Dude, I am having a great time, and I really appreciate you appreciate being here, you, brother. Man. It's awesome. I really, I'm sorry to cut you short, but I want to get into your artwork because no, you're fine. now you are your your art is amazing. I, I follow you all over the social media. I get to skate with you when when we do. But every time you post something, I'm just blown away, and I'm like, I I need to step up my game. I still draw with a pen on paper, um, but your art is amazing. And you're doing that full time now. Yep. How did you make that transition from 
owning salons, doing educational stuff, uh, really having a great uh, foundation, bigger than a foundation, a great name in the hair uh, styling world to doing artwork full time. I was forced into it. Um, so there was five, five years, the last five years of my hairdressing career. Um, I had problems with my hands and they would swell up. They would look like hot dogs that were putting in the microwave for too long. Pus would come out of them. And it was something I, I was fighting. I was like, what the hell is this? And then I go to the doctor and they put me on steroids. Finally, they determined it was an autoimmune disease. So the steroids get under, under control. I had to give up color for a while. So finally I progressed where it was just like the hair's falling out of my head in really horrible patches. Um, the, uh, my, my hands are getting worse. My, my feet are getting worse. It's, it's just, I mean, I don't know if you can see them, but I mean, I had a breakout the other day. So I dealt with this for, it's going on seven years now. And, um, it, it's, it's an autoimmune disease. When my hair started falling out, you know, nobody wants to get their hair done by a dude whose hands are falling apart and looks like, you know, the dog who's got mange. And it was, it was affecting a lot of my health. And I came home one day and I was like, I can't, I, I hate to say the word I can't. I hate that word. And I came home to my wife and son. And I was like, I can't, I can't do this anymore. It's, it's killing me. I can barely hold a, a blow dryer or a brush. And the, the client's first thing, especially a new client that's sitting in the chair, they're looking at this dude with the, like half his hair's missing and not in a normal male pattern baldness kind of. They're like, who is this guy? This right. guy has fallen apart. So, you know, I have a very supportive family, and my wife and kid were just like, do art. I'm like, what do you mean? They're like, do art. And I had been working part-time, very part-time, for a company called N-World, and that I was just kind of dicking around with. They would give me one or two assignments, and it, you know, kept me busy. Because I still drill a little bit. And I go, what I do for them won't even pay the electric bill. You know, they're like, no, you can do it. And... Okay, so set a date that night. I'm quitting hair in three weeks. That's it. I'm out of it. I'm done. And walked away from it. <clears throat> you know, said my goodbyes. I'm out. The next day, I'm sitting at a table at my house. I have one client who was nworld.org. And I'm like, I have to make this happen. I have to make this happen now. Because living off of your what left do you have your savings? And the mortgage is still due. It goes down like a drain, mm -hmm. and it's quicker and quicker and quicker. And you're like, so I went on to Facebook my first day, and I found every role-playing game tabletop company I could find, and liked everything. So you know the algorithms with with Facebook. The more you like, the more they 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 put on your newsfeed. So by the next day, I had all these RPG you know gaming companies. And I love Dungeons and Dragons and fantasy art, and that's what I'm used to. So I went with what I knew. How long ago is this? Like two years ago? Year and a half. Year and a half. And I, I apologize because the clock is wrong. We have like three minutes. Um, so a year and a half ago, you start doing art uh, full time. Right. And 
I mean, if if you haven't looked up Phil Stone on Facebook yet, you are now constantly this for another client, this for another client, this for another client. Yeah, I work for eleven people now, and eleven companies. The work speaks for itself. Thank you. It speaks for itself. Uh, what do you got next? I mean, what's coming next for Phil Stone? I'm just gonna keep doing what I'm doing because it's not it's not there yet um, where I need it to be. I, I mean, I work for eleven wonderful publishers. Um, I actually wrote them down. <laughs> That it, um, and then I got the the Kickstarters going. You can find me on Kickstarter. Um, I I decided I wanted to illustrate all eight schools of magic from Dungeons and Dragons, and put it in actual spellbook form, which nobody's really done yet, to make it look like a legitimate spellbook. And they've done really great. Um, I'm gonna just keep going with that. I'm doing a collaboration with a um, pastor for an angels and demons book we actually we looked up all 28 named demons in the bible and he's doing an archaeological paper on it and i'm re-illustrating the um dictionary infernal that was an old 17th century french um uh exorcist book cool and we're putting Very that out cool and people can see you on philstoneillustrations.com philstone on facebook on instagram are you philstone i am no i am i draw for cash and prizes oh <laughs> i wasn't <laughs> sure <laughs> but uh, you know we're coming down to the last couple minutes go ahead and run down your uh, the people you work for man so they're pay they're helping you pay uh, your bills these right guys now. have have supported me and they, they these are the people who like really took a shot with me and it just said, yeah, let's let's do it. It's Bloat Games. I work for Wizco Games, Castle Games, Legion Quest, Kobold Press, Enroll.org, Pelgrane Press, Legendary Games, Lore RPG, Wormkeep Entertainment, and um, Total Party Kill Games and Dark Wizard Games. And it's just these are the people who just they took a shot with me, and you know they they message me every three weeks looking for something new. And there's there's a lot of a lot of cool stuff coming up. Well, and they're lucky. They are lucky that they... they I'm lucky. No, I'm lucky for they, them. No, they are lucky because, uh, like I opened the show with, you know, we haven't been friends that long, maybe five years, and every time we have a great time, we're always smiling, we're having a good time, and you're an awesome human being, and the talent and the drive is, is what I want you, the viewer, to take away from this show. Uh, Phil has excelled at so many things, and it's because he's... F and Phil Stone, man. Like he said, he, he's MF and Phil Stone. Um, I, I think there, there's nothing on this planet that you can't do. I, and you're proving it. The, your life is proved. You just got to take that jump, man. Yeah. You know, you got to take that jump and let that parachute open. Once you find that, you know, you just got to do it. Because if you don't, you know, I, I look at my hands now, you know, and it's almost like running away from a man with a revolver with one bullet in the back. And every time you get to a certain hurdle, you hear a click and you hear another click and you want to see how far you can take it. And before you get to that chamber that actually has the bullet in it, because, you know, you're not going to get out of life alive, but you want to see how far you can take it before that bullet in that one chamber is waiting for you in the back of your head. And that's you get, the way I look at it. You guys are better. You better written that down. You sh write it down right now. Go get your pen. Write it down. Because that, that, if you take only that away from this interview today, you have more than you probably learned in the last 10 years. Because it's a, it's a great analogy. I'm, I'm going to do a drawing about that, I think, when I get home. But, um, Phil, I'm going to have you back for sure. Thank you so much, brother. And come on. The drop-in just keeps getting better. It keeps getting better. Phil Stone just raised the bar up here, man. 
up here, and it is my honor to call him a friend. And I want to thank you guys for tuning in. Share this stuff with everybody. Let's continue to make positivity go viral. I am Gerald Valley. That is my great friend, Phil Stone, and this is The Drop-In.